Well, good morning. Good morning. If you've got a Bible, you can turn it to Mark chapter 8, and we're going from verse 1 through to verse 21. So that's Mark chapter 8, verse 1 to 21, but we do have the words on the screen if you don't. Just, uh, if you came in this morning, you should have been given one of these little flyers about the In Christ Together Saturday. I'd really encourage you, get booked on, I can't remember if Paul said, but it's free, it's free of charge, it's going to be a great day. Um, there are limited places because, as I understand, there was one of these days in Cumbria yesterday and it was fully booked up. So don't leave it to the last minute to book on. Book on, make sure you get there. We do need a little bit of help. Um, if you know you're coming and you could help uh, with the refreshments, that means just coming, turning up and giving a smile and pouring some teas and coffees during the refreshment breaks, um, then we, would lo- we need six helpers from Jubilee to help with that. And we also need six helpers to help with the children's work as well. Again, you don't have to plan anything, but you do need to be there uh, to help. All you need is a valid uh, CRB check. Um, and you just have to turn up and help. Um, if you can help in either of those two ways, please can you see me uh, today or uh, speak to Jackie in the church office. It'd be fantastic uh, to help out on that day. Right, we're carrying through, going through the Gospel of Mark. And uh, we're going to read this, cha- this passage from chapter 8 this morning. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they'll collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered him, But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to to distribute to the people. And they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. After he'd sent them away, he got into a boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, it's because we have no bread. 
aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts not hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets of pieces did did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? Let's pray before we begin this. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your presence with us this morning. We ask, would you speak to us through your word? Thank you that we are word and spirit. Not simply looking to get a balance, but knowing that we can do it. We can't do that either. And so we ask, would you speak to us this morning as we read your word and as you, Holy Spirit, come and be our teacher. In all this we pray. Amen. Amen. Abbas, have I given you the notes? Yeah, I have. Okay. Just some worry there that I hadn't given me many notes. Okay, as we begin this passage, at the start of this passage, you might have been thinking, I've been here before. I, I kind of feel like I've read this before. This is the, you might have even thought, this is like a little, we have a saying in English, don't we? Well, actually it's French, but we have a saying, déjà vu, don't we? I kind of, like, it's, it's, a, it's a French word. Uh, and it's, a, it's an English saying, déjà vu, and it means you get this sense of, I've experienced this before. I'm sure, do you know, do you ever get that? Everyone ever get, and you might be, you might walk down a street in a city you've never, you've never visited before. And you just sense, it's a bit strange, it feels like I've been here before. Or you might have a conversation with somebody, and they might, you might think, I, I've had this conversation before. It feels, like, it feels like I'm reliving it. I think my wife often thinks this. I think, I think she'd say she probably has conversations with me two or three times. <laughs> I've had this conversation with him already. Uh, well, maybe you're thinking that this morning as we read this passage. See, in uh, chapter 6 of the Gospel of Mark, we see that Jesus has already miraculously provided food for 5,000 people. In fact, it was probably more than 5,000 because it says it was 5,000 men. So it's probably a lot more than 5,000. Miraculously with five loaves of bread and two fish. So why does he do something almost exactly the same a little later on? What's the point? Why? Well, actually, when we look at this a little closer we realise that this isn't a simple repeat of the event. Actually, he wants his disciples to see through these miracles who he is and the kind of kingdom he is bringing about. And you know, if he has to do it twice to get the message across, that's what he's going to do. However, there are some differences to the previous time. Now, the crowd size is different. Last time it was 5,000, it says. It's different this time. The number of loaves and the number of fish is different. 
The number of baskets of leftover food is different. Actually, why, why, why are the details important? Why is it important that we know they're different? Well, actually, it's important because Mark is writing about two separate events, and he wants us to know that. And so he's getting the details right. He's recording the details right because he wants us to know these are two separate events. Okay, another difference. This time, actually, it's Jesus who says these people need feeding. The first time, it was the disciples. They said, right, okay, someone's got to feed these people. This time, it's Jesus. Third difference. When the first time, the disciples had been around for probably about less than a day with Jesus. uh, Sorry, the crowd had been with Jesus probably about less than a day. And there were surrounding villages that they could have gone to to get food. They could have been sent away. In fact, that's what the disciples tell Jesus. Send them away so they can go and get food from the surrounding villages. This time it's different. They've been with Jesus three days. And now there is nowhere else for them to get food. There's no surrounding places they can go and get food. This time it is more urgent that they're fed. There's some similarities, though, as well, isn't there? There's a big crowd of people. There's bread. There's fish. And just like before, Jesus involves his disciples in what he's doing, in meeting the need of the crowd. He gets them to give out the food, doesn't he? He says, right, okay, here we go. You distribute it now. You give it to the people. That's what happens when we follow Jesus. That's what happens when we're involved with him. He involves us in what he's doing. Following Jesus doesn't mean standing back. It doesn't mean doing nothing, sitting back. Actually, it's very inclusive. And Jesus involves us in his purposes. Jesus involves us in his mission to this world. That was the experience of the early disciples here. That was the experience of the church the early church, and do you know it's the experience of Christians today? The, the, the picture that often is used is one of a football match, isn't it? You know, we're not meant to be the ones in the stands looking onwards, but rather on the pitch amidst the action. That's where Jesus calls us to. That's where Jesus involves us. He involves you. What a privilege it is in the places you are, in the places you find yourself. He involves you. It's what Jesus said, isn't it, when uh, the early disciples uh, were were gathered together and he says, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you and you're going to be my witnesses in all these surrounding places and to the ends of the earth. Okay, we're going to see in this passage that actually this miracle isn't simply a sign to prove that Jesus is God. Actually, it's a display of the love and compassion of God. Jesus said, I have compassion for these people. I looked up the word compassion to work out what it means, to see what it actually means. And the the root word of this word compassion is to be moved deeply, to be moved deeply by something. 
Often in our culture, we often think of the heart, don't we? You move deeply in the heart. Um, but actually, uh, the, the word that it uses is to be moved deeply from your, you know, your bowels, from your insides. It's not like, you kind of thought of it as very nice, is it? But actually, it's that kind of being moved from within. You know, we often paint a picture of Jesus as, as some kind of lifeless, uh, unemotional character that just floats about. No, no, no. No, this says he's moved. From his very depths, he's moved. He feels compassion for these people. And actually, as followers of Jesus, we are called to show his love in that same way. It's also something that moves us and moves us to action as well. Colossians 3.12 It does use the heart in this one. It says, Paul tells the church, put on a heart of compassion. But again, that word compassion is is the same word, is a similar word and has a similar meaning. Be moved with compassion for those around you. See, we can make up tons of excuses, can't we? I'm too busy. I I, I wouldn't have all the answers to give someone. Um, Why me? Who am I? to be used by God. But actually, in one sense, our lack of resources, our weakness, isn't our problem. Actually, we leave that to Jesus, and we see, what does he do with that? Well, actually, in this context, they bring their, fi- their loaves and fishes and see what he does. A lack of resources is not a problem for Jesus. He provides. So I want to encourage you, whether it's a huge crowd you find yourselves in or whether it is one or two people, allow the compassion of Jesus to help you show compassion. I'm always in, it, it might be, you might be privileged to serve many, many people, to show compassion to many, many people. It might be one person. I'm always encouraged when I hear stories of someone who says, do you know, that one person showed the love of God to me. They, they, they rung me up. They, they cooked a meal for me. They cared for me. They showed compassion to me. And in it, I saw, I experienced something of the love of God. Okay, afterwards, afterwards, Jesus and his disciples, they get in a boat and they go across the lake. And they're confronted by the Pharisees. Shirley talked a bit about the Pharisees last week, didn't you? You mentioned uh, a bit about Simon and, and all the Pharisees. They're the religious guys. They, are, they knew the Old Testament law. Actually, they really did want the people to take their faith seriously. And they were waiting. They were waiting for God to rescue the Jewish people, rescue the land from the Roman invaders, the Roman occupiers. And they were waiting for the promised Messiah and so they're looking for a sign from Jesus. They're wanting something to prove to them that he's the Messiah that they've been waiting for. And the pastor says they wanted to test him. They needed to test him first. See, they had a particular idea of the Messiah they were waiting for. And we've talked about that. This as we've gone through the book of Mark. They were looking for a political figure who would free the nation, the Jewish people, the nation, from 
the Roman occupiers, the enemy, who would re-establish a Jewish nation, restore true worship. However, that is not the Messiah Jesus had come to be. It says this, they come to test him. Show us a sign. And what does he do? He sighs deeply. <sighs> I love the, descriptive, the descriptions in the Bible. It's fantastic. He sighs deeply. Perhaps I sometimes think people sigh at me sometimes when I get things wrong or when I mistake, mistakenly understand things and they look at me. And <sighs> That's what Jesus is doing. He sighs deeply. See, he's not interested in establishing a kingdom on a small strip of land in the Middle East. Actually, he's establishing a kingdom that would grow and have influence beyond national borders. In fact, would go to the very ends of the earth and be defined by where God's rule and reign was. It would be an expanding kingdom that would one day fill the whole of creation. So he wouldn't, he wouldn't answer these demands to prove himself. See, the Pharisees had it all wrong. They were saying, show us. Show, show us who you really are, and then we'll decide if we want to follow you. But actually, that wasn't Jesus' way. There was no humility. There was no, there's no genuine seeking after God in their approach. We have, Jesus, this, is, this, this is what they were thinking. We have our view of what the Messiah is to be. And Jesus, if you don't fit it, then that's it. We're not interested. You're obviously not the true Messiah. Do you know, that can be the approach of so many today as well, can't it? You know, these are, the, these are the qualities I look for in God. And if he doesn't meet them, then I'm not interested. Or... You know, I expect God to be loving and understanding and not really mind about what I do, unless, as long as it's not hurting other people, then God won't mind. That's the type of God I'm looking for. Or, I'm looking for a God who helps those who helps themselves. Uh, you know, not, not a God who cares for the marginalised, not a God who cares for the poor and the needy. No, 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 no. Actually, do you know, if you approach Jesus with your tick lists of your expectations, you'll be disappointed. But it's when we come humbly, it's when we come with genuine openness that we see who he is. Now, I'm not saying there's no room for uh, searching, there's no room for questions. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, you know, you can be so close to anything that doesn't fit fit with your, your kind of view of the world that you miss. You miss Jesus. If you're not a Christian here this morning, if you would say you're not a Christian, don't do that. Don't miss Jesus because of your existing views. Okay, so they get in the boat again and they're off. And this time he has some time with his disciples and it get, it, they get a bit, what seems like, a bit of a telling off. A bit of a stripping down, as we might say. 
He says to them, don't you still understand? But I love how Jesus is committed to helping his friends. I love how he's committed to them. In his frustration, in all his frustration, he doesn't give up. You know, he's done this miracle twice now, and they still haven't got it. Do you know, if you're, if you're a Christian here today, do you ever feel like God's going to get so frustrated with you that he's just going to give up on you because you keep getting things wrong? No, 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 that's not true. He'll lead you. He'll speak to you. If you misunderstand things, he's not going to say, well, I've had it. No, 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 no. He'll lead you by the Spirit into truth. Perhaps you had a teacher at school that just wouldn't give up on you. I, I can imagine there's a few here as well. But, you know, you, there's that, what, I, perhaps you remember just one or two teachers that just wouldn't give I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going and help you to understand this. I'm not going to give up because I want you to understand how much more is Jesus like that to us. And I'm committed. I'm going to help you. I'm going to see you through this. He's committed to his followers in this passage. And he tells them this, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. Herod was one of the king, Herod was the king of the area. He'd been put in charge by the Romans and uh, we've come into contact with him already as we've worked through Mark. Um, And so Jesus says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. And they think again, He's talking about the fact that we don't have enough bread. So yeast is what you put in to bread to make it rise. Does anyone make their own bread or anything like that? I know some of the Iranians do because I've eaten it and it's delicious. Um, anyone else make bread? Oh, John. John does. A few others. We are Fevan. Excellent. Oh, yes. There we go. See, we were making bread in our house this morning. Believe it or not, we is probably the strong term. Someone in our house was making bread this morning. And uh, we're using yeast. Jody's saying, I, don't want to make, I want to make sure there's enough yeast, but I don't want to make sure there's too much yeast. I've got to get it right. I've got to weigh out everything right. The yeast would be put in to make it rise. You only need a small bit, and it will go through the whole loaf and cause the whole loaf to rise. So what is the yeast that Paul, uh, that Jesus is telling his followers to beware of. Actually, it's recorded in two other places in the Gospels as well. And uh, he explains a little more in those places. It's in Luke, and he says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Which is your inner life and your outer life not matching up. And he says it in Matthew as well. He says it's their teaching. Beware of their teaching. What's it mean? Well, firstly, he wants them to keep clear of their way of thinking, their attitude, where external obedience to rules, external obedience to a certain way of living equals righteousness. See, their their demand for a sign shows their true heart. They thought what it was. They thought they knew what it was to be righteous. We know the ways to pray. We know the ways to live. We know the ways uh, to give our money and to tithe. 
Um, we know these ways, and they're testing Jesus. But the problem is, these, these things aren't bad. These aren't bad things. But for the Pharisees, they were all external. They were all external. And Jesus' message, Jesus' message is, no, 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 there's something wrong on the inside that needs to be dealt with. There's something wrong inside men and women that needs to be sorted. And until that's dealt with, actually all their external acts of obedience are worthless. But they couldn't accept Jesus. They couldn't. Because it would mean accepting that message. See, Jesus wants his followers to know and to be aware of it. You know, it's not about external acts that lead to righteousness. It is about a transformed life, a transformed heart that leads to a transformed life and leads to transformed actions. He's interested in teaching them how to live the life that he is putting in them and will put in them. Secondly, he wants them to be aware of a certain type of kingdom, an earthly kingdom, a kingdom that can deal with external obedience and behaviour only. He wants them to be aware of the type of kingdom that can show them the rules, that can show them the way to live, but give no power, that leaves them powerless. He's saying, look, look at these two miracles. Look at, the, look at the two miracles of the miraculous feeding of these crowds. That's what my kingdom is like, says Jesus. It's compassion for others that comes from within. It is a dependence on me for everything, says Jesus. It's, it's a kingdom that looks to win hearts and not arguments. So the Pharisees, we just wanted to win an argument. No, no, Jesus was about winning hearts. I want to come to a a close in a minute. But I just wonder, is there yeast that we need to be aware of? In our day, is there yeast that we need to be aware of? Because this is a warning, isn't it? People say there are lots of warnings and the Bible's just full of warnings. Actually, here's one. It's a warning to beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. You know, I think there's two things that we need to be watch out for. I think there's one as a church, and I think there's one that is a bit more, little more personal. You know, one, firstly, as a church, one commentator on this passage says that the Western church is so under pressure to show signs, as Jesus was. It may not be as a miracle, but it's under so much pressure to show its relevance so we think we have to do it. We have to show that we're relevant. Show, we have to show there's some use to the church and we'll do it through social action or we'll do it through um, empowering people or we'll do it through uh, healings or prophecy. These things aren't bad things. Don't get me wrong, please. These aren't good things. These are good things. These are very good things. But they're meant to be as an overflow of love. They're meant to be as an overflow of love that points to Jesus. 
not as some way that we show ourselves to be relevant and of use in the 21st century. See, our significance comes from what God says about the church. He loves the church. That's his plan, to display his goodness and display who he is around us. What was the other one? I said there were two. Personally, personally, there is another kind of yeast that we need to avoid. We need to avoid putting our trust in external acts of obedience and say, well, that equals righteousness, therefore. What could I mean? Well, perhaps it's, well, actually, I really don't think there is any inner problem in me. As long as I, as long as I live well, as long as I live in a better way, then I think that's enough for God. Or if I show up at the right church meetings, if I be a good giver, then I'm pretty sure that God will, will, will accept me and God will show his favour on me. No, no, we need to realise that it is the gospel of Jesus, it is the work of Jesus that has made us righteous and nothing else. And it's from him that we are empowered to live a transformed life, not the other way round. You know, beware of any thinking that tells you differently. And like yeast, it only takes a little bit to work through your whole life and out. Do you know, it might just start by thinking, I know God loves me, and I just think I have to try a little harder in life. And slowly, bit by bit, that will change to, I've got to work harder in life to make God love me. Beware. Jesus tells us to beware. Perhaps you're aware that's you. No, the answer isn't condemnation, but to receive afresh, freely, the grace of God that reminds you that Jesus' death and resurrection was enough to deal with your sin, enough to deal with what was wrong with you in your very being and wrong with me, to put us right with God. And uh, if the band could come up, I want us to, to respond in worship, if that's okay. I want us to respond by celebrating, by thanking Jesus that we are changed people. We are free to worship Jesus, free to live transformed lives for him. Not through external obedience to act, but actually because of his death, his resurrection, because of the love of God he has poured into our hearts. I'm just going to pray for us and then we're going to finish by worshipping. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your amazing work of salvation. We thank you that you haven't called us to just try a little harder. You haven't called us just to live in a different way with a bit more effort. 
that you have dealt with the very thing that was rotten in us. You have dealt with our sin at the cross, dealing with it once and for all, and making us new creations. We thank you. And we thank you now that your spirit comes to empower us to live out that transformed life, to be your witnesses in the places you put us, to show compassion from our very depths, because you want to display your compassion to this world. What a privilege it is that you use us. What a privilege it is that you call us into your very purpose. For the gospel to go to life after life after life in Teesside and beyond. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We love you. We adore you. And as we sing in response, we sing with hearts of gladness and thankfulness to you. You are wonderful. You are our Redeemer, our Messiah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Come on, let's stand and let's sing in response to Jesus.